1: This is the Graybar Sports Open Line. Goes swings slings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. On America Sports Voice, KMOX. It
3: is hour number two of the Graybar Sports Open Line. Joe Pott in for Matt Pauley this week. Uh, last night and tonight, anyway. That pretty much encompasses the week. We had Chiefs on Monday. We've got some... Cardinals baseball programming with the chatter's box coming up the next couple of nights, as well as a Thanksgiving special from CBS tomorrow. So that pretty much encompasses the week. And uh, if we can help Mr. Pauly have some family time, uh, some time away during this Thanksgiving holiday, well, I'm happy to do that. So happy you are with us. Matt Pajeski's is on the other side of the board over there. Happy he is with us. and. Lots more to do here in this second hour of Sports Open Line. We'll hear from Kylie McDaniel, ESPN. I'm interested to hear what sort of the outside view looking in, right, is on what the Cardinals have done because we we know what we hear from Cardinals fans and from people around here and now Derek Gould. And let's hear what, uh, what some national baseball people feel like uh, or feel about the moves that the Cardinals have made so far. And let's hear from the Cardinals manager. We don't get to do that a lot during the offseason. Obviously, we hear from Oliver Marmel uh, a lot during the season. And I will tell you, and, and again, what say whatever you will, because, uh, yeah, we are the Cardinals station. But, man, he is generous with his time. Um, he, he is always willing to talk to, uh, I think he does twice a week, every week during the season on Sundays and then uh, during the week with Tom as well. So, but he is really, really generous, and I know that it is genuine when he says that it's important to him to be able to kind of connect through Camo X, through the radio, to the fans. So I feel like it's genuine, and I'm, I, I think he's just really generous to do that with us. But he did it with Tom this morning, chatted with Tom about, obviously, the recent moves that the Cardinals have made in acquiring Lance Lynn and Kyle
4: Gibson it was definitely needed and you said that these guys are definitely going to provide some innings i had an opportunity um with mo to to jump on with lance and uh talk through some things prior to signing him and uh it was a really good conversation as far as what he's looking for uh what we need and then i was able to do the same with uh with gibson and uh understand where he's at and and what he's looking for and it, it was um it was encouraging. Uh, one of the things that it, is really hard to measure in this game is the combination of personalities that you put together for that clubhouse. And both of these guys really know what it looks like to win. And, and they, uh, although different in personality, they bring something to that clubhouse that's extremely important. And um, There's an edge to what they bring. There's accountability to what they bring. Um, but also the know-how. Uh, they're not wide-eyed. They've been in the league for a while and understand what this looks like. And with some of the young arms that we do have, um, having them come alongside them and show them what this looks like is important. Um, so we we just added two guys that are going to be extremely helpful to what we're doing moving forward.
3: There's the Cardinals manager. His uh, kind of first impressions there on the two guys and a lot of the stuff that we've already talked about, a lot about the clubhouse presence, which um, – you know, it's the, it's one of those things that oh, you say that when they're not going to be good on the field, maybe so, but also it's what people have said for the last year or so that it's something that the Cardinals need. So, uh, more on the moves and specifically on Lance Lynn, who, as you probably are aware, led the major leagues and home runs allowed last year with 44.
4: Good questions and fair question. I mean, yes, uh, more opportunity for, for hits is definitely a correlation with the amount of innings you pitch. Um, but the conversations led around the the why behind that and and the things that they're looking to do differently um this upcoming year um that was a big part of it lance is is hungry um to get back to to being lance lynn and there's some things that we are well aware of that we can help him with and things that he's aware of that he brought to the table in that conversation that that are going to lead to more success Uh, does bush stadium be in a bigger ballpark pictures park Help with the home runs absolutely it helps every pitcher um but there's some things regardless of ballpark that he's already addressing this off season that are going to be extremely important and uh, we have a high level of confidence that he's going to be able to address those so um the skill set on the field and what he brings from a personality standpoint where it's needed it, it, it's definitely needed
3: I will add this, to John Mozeliak uh, said some of that, a uh, little bit of that yesterday.
5: Well, obviously, uh, we
0: think this ballpark will play better for him. Um, you know, he, he did give up a lot of home runs, so very well aware of that. Um, I think the other thing is is he wants
4: to show that he can be better than that. Um, I think Lance with a chip is a good Lance, and I think he's got a little chip on his shoulder.
3: So again both those things let's see if if they pan out. Busch Stadium has been a really uh it's been mostly neutral leaning a little bit towards a pitcher's park. So that's what it's been since it's since it's been opened. Um and and I think it actually skewed a little bit more to the pitcher side when they built Ballpark Village and so when they built in some of the the outfield stuff. So yeah, let's see if that actually uh, comes to fruition. Oliver Marmol also talked about hiring Daniel Descalzo as bench coach and his thoughts on that and, and why he thinks it's good.
4: I love Descalzo. Um, man, I, it, I have a ton of respect for him. I wanted him on our staff. Um we've uh known each other for a long time actually played together coming up through the system and uh i've always had a ton of respect for for this is a guy that has a a really good knowledge of the game um his credibility in that clubhouse is, is is unbelievable and um he just holds people to a certain standard so there's going to be accountability there the, the grit that he brings to the table just everything about scouts man it, it just leads to being a, a really good coach um and this is a guy that's going to manage at some point uh, I, I truly believe that um he has the skill set for it he communicates extremely well and I, i've been wanting this so being able to bring him over from arizona was a uh, something we definitely wanted to do, and I'm glad we were able to pull it off.
3: I like that Oliver Marmol said that he thinks it's a guy that's going to manage because that goes back to what I was talking about at the end of the first hour is that I feel like that should be a huge part of the bench coach position is somebody that either has, or you feel like has what it takes, has the tools to be a manager. And i like all the things that Derek Gould said. And again, it was a completely Kind of different take on it than I had on it previously. I was not looking at it that way. I was not looking at it as that uh, as that liaison as much, and a guy who was there because he was close in age and peers with a lot of the players. So I like that too. But I really like the fact that if you think that he is he is a guy that can manage, uh, that's what I what I like about having him as the bench coach. And of course. Oliver Marble, uh, no, not surprisingly here. He's optimistic about 2024.
4: I feel really good. Tom. um, there's some things that we're, we're addressing internally with, with our group. And I've been able to have some really good conversations with some of the leaders on our, on our club. And, um, from, uh, acquisition of the two guys that we just discussed, like there's the pieces are starting to come together. And like most of it, it's not done. Um, we are continuing to do our, our, our jobs, but, uh, at the end of the day, uh, we're taking some really good steps in the right direction.
3: Long and short of it is that what he said and what John Moselak said several times yesterday, they're not done. That This is the start of the offseason. This is not the uh, end. This is not the culmination of what they want to do in, in mo- as far as moves go, changes go, all of those things. In fact, John Moselak even said that there was probably more major league staff moves. So, So more moves... Uh, among the the major league staff not just you know the roving instructors the minor league instructors all of those things that happen throughout the winter and happen as you get into spring training he essentially said stay tuned because there's more moves to come they they would like to make more moves put it that way on the major league staff so they they're obviously again kind of identifying the things that they believe outside of just performance on the field or what can influence the performance on the field. And a lot of that seems to be falling back on the major league staff also. So it'll be interesting to see what other uh, staff moves they make. Remember at the end of last year, it was kind of a surprise. I think that Mike Maddox left, he was retiring, but sort of not retiring. And then of course, obviously went to Texas to become the pitching coach for Bruce Bochy and the Texas Rangers uh, and a world champion. Um, but Skip Schumacher had left because he was taking the Marlins' job, so there were a lot of changes that were being made to the coaching staff. That I think at that point, after 2022, they weren't expected. In fact, John Mozeliak said then that he had offered Mike Maddox the chance to stay and and uh, an extension, whatever. Also, um, at that time, it was the uh, the hitting coach as well. They they had make it they had made a change there at the hitting coach. So. There were a lot of changes that were unexpected at the end of 2022 after, of course, the Cardinals had won the division uh, and and dropped the playoff series to the Phillies. Whereas this year, I think there was probably a little bit more advanced uh, warning, some more notice or some more forethought to we're going to make some changes on the coaching staff and maybe changes that are still to come on the coaching staff. So. That was the cards manager Oliver Marmel with Tom Ackerman earlier today here on Camo X. Good to hear from him uh, here in November. It's gonna be good to hear uh some more baseball talk. Kylie McDaniel is coming up next. He's with ESPN. We'll get his thoughts on the cards moves, on maybe what moves are to come and kind of how this free agent market may shake out. That is next. It's the Gray Bar Sports Open Line. I'm Joe Pot, in for Matt Polly. We'll be back after this on Camo
1: X. America's Sports Voice, KMOX.
3: It is the Gray Bar Sports Open line here on a Wednesday night. Joe Pot in for Matt Pauley. We'll keep talking some. Baseball here. My pleasure to welcome in on the Equiver River electric guest line. That is Kylie McDaniel of ESPN and a baseball insider for ESPN. Kylie, thanks so much for uh, spending some time tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, So first things first, I was just saying like we've, you know, we know what the, what Cardinals fans are saying. We know what the local sort of look at the Cardinals couple of moves are. So from the outside looking in, and you see they sign Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson. What's what's your thought? How do how do you approach this?
2: Well, I'd say the the biggest weakness that the team had last year is there were a bunch of like pretty good pitchers, and some of them like you know Libertor were younger guys that hadn't quite grown into you know their peak years. So you give them a little bit of grace there, or Zach Thompson. Um, but the you include Wainwright, who has since retired. But the the idea that there's not quite enough raw stuff. There's a lot of you'd probably term them five and dive types that once you get to the third time through the order, these guys just don't have the raw stuff to turn it over and probably don't have the stuff where you're going to feel confident that they will perform up to their regular season performances in the playoffs or be able to turn over a lineup two times in the playoffs. As you know, we kind of see every year the intensity gets turned up a few notches. So to add starting pitchers, obvious. Yes. To add, uh, you know, sort of like a, a back end sort of number four type that'll eat up some innings and be effective and knows what he's doing. Certainly, of the two or three guys they need to sign, one of them needs to be that. That they sign two guys that are like that already uh, and may not sign anymore, I, I think they need to sign one more starting pitcher. But that they, they shot you know, sort of low in terms of guys that will be starters and put up innings. But Gibson has never really been an impact guy. Lynn had one of the worst seasons of the big leagues last year. I think he's better than that, but he was really bad. Um, that doesn't inspire a ton of confidence that, like, swapping those guys in for Dakota Hudson and Adam Wainwright is really going to change that much. It's just you can feel a little better that the innings will be thrown, not that they're going to be fantastic.
3: And, and what do you make of the, you know, the Not the argument, maybe, but the what John Mozeliak was saying is that, you know, at at some point, moves had to be made. We wanted to be quick to make some of those moves. These guys, you know, both available, both interested in being Cardinals at least to, you know, you can't get three until you've got one, two, um, if three is the target number, but just to have someone, uh, some certainty as, as Derek Gould put it last hour.
2: Yeah. And there's also like some thought that if you look at like Texas, uh, they just spent a ton of money on pitching and the guy they spent the most on Degrom like barely pitched last year. And then they had to trade for more guys in Jordan Montgomery at the deadline and then traded for another one in Scherzer and still were short on starters in the world series. So like there's some thought that when you line up a bunch of starters and kind of sign too many or have a little you know more depth than maybe you need and start one in the bullpen or, you know, have a guy in AAA that maybe shouldn't be in AAA. That's probably the right answer. So I'd want to reserve judgment that if they go out and sign, you know, Blake Snell and Yamamoto, then obviously they did exactly what they needed to do and solved the problem. And, you know, we'll just see if the back end of those contracts are bad. Uh, and then Gibson and Lynn can be the fourth and fifth starters. You know, Mats can be a, you know, swing guy. Thompson and Libertor can be A. AAA. You've got Roby and Hintz and, you know, Jerby and all these guys on the way up. And like then I think you're in a good spot. Like that looks like a playoff team's rotation. It's incredibly unlikely that's what they do. But if they sign one of those guys, then I think they've done fine. They've addressed the issue. So I'll reserve judgment on this was good or this was bad. I'm just saying it's not inspiring confidence. But, you know, Aaron Nola would have inspired confidence. That was probably a little more than they want to spend. And that's why I think Snell and Yamamoto are probably not that likely. Because if you like those guys at those prices, I think you probably would have liked Nola at his price. And he seems a little more their type. But there's, you know, there's guys like Sonny Gray that could be a reasonable amount of money. I think he gets about $70 or so. That I think would, you know, if they had those three guys, then I think you're like, okay, thumbs up. We did a good job. We didn't blow my hair back, but we did good.
3: Kylie McDaniel with us from ESPN here on the Gray Bar Sports Open line. Um, uh, your most recent piece, or one of your most recent pieces, uh, I won't get into all of it, but you mentioned two of those guys in Blake Snell and Sonny Gray. One of them you like more than the other one um, as far as getting into free agents, investing or not investing.
2: Yeah, the, this is something Dave Cameron, who now works for the Mariners, did when I worked with him at Fangraphs, which is after we did all of the uh, contract crowdsourcing, so all the, you know, all the fans get mm-hmm. to say what they think each free agent should get, he then takes those numbers as sort of what the market rate, which, you know, close enough, uh, and who are the guys, if I was a team, looking to sign a player, uh, who would I like at that price and who do I not like at that price? Uh, and I saw Nola was actually the guy that was going to headline the whole thing, and then he signed the day of before course, it. Of course. Right. So I had to take him out. <laughs> um, but him and Snell, to me, are the opposite kinds of pitchers. So Snell is. Left-handed, potential ace, multiple Cy Youngs, giant stuff, but can like drive you wild watching him pitch because he's so inefficient. He walks so many guys. It's just like every other pitch is a slider in the dirt. Sometimes they swing. Sometimes he's just walking guys on four pitches. Uh, And that doesn't age well. The guys that are comps for that sort of player, Patrick Corbin, terrible contract for the team. Robbie Ray, terrible contract for the team. Carlos Rodon, maybe the worst pitcher contract in years. Uh, That's the stuff over command lefties and everybody wants to have that like ace lefty that throws hard and gets a lot of strikeouts for the playoffs because they're so rare. There's like a handful of them at any given time. Uh, That's why paying them when they're 29 coming off of like a career high paying that guy into his mid to late 30s is a terrible idea. But he'll probably be good for the first couple of years that you know some of those guys were. I guess Rodon wasn't Ray got hurt. Corbin was okay at the beginning. So it's you know almost a coin flip is he going to be okay early in his contract? The back end going to be a disaster though, because there's nothing to fall back on. There's no command. And then the opposite side of it, you take Nola or Gray, or Shota Emanaga or Marcus Stroman. all of these guys fit into that general type, which is durable, can go five, six innings pretty reliably, but don't get don't have huge raw stuff, don't have huge velocity. They're good because it's four pitches, it strikes, it's above-average stuff, but it's like plus command, knows how to navigate a lineup. It's all these things that are not sexy, but when you've done it for a 1,000 innings, it's pretty obvious that that's a skill set. Those guys you typically get a slight discount on, but they actually age better because the thing you need when the velocity tails off is the command and how to operate, and these guys are going to have their velocity tail off during this contract, so why not invest in a guy that's going to age well and just know you're not going to get an ace, but like Aaron Nolan might be the 15th best pitcher in baseball. Like It's that's, that's pretty close to an ace.
3: What if the Cardinals did sign, say, uh, Marcus Stroman, and you add that to the two guys? Is that okay? Not Still not blowing your hair back, as you said, but
2: is that decent? Yeah, I think then you have a rotation of uh, threes and fours, mm-hmm. number three mm-hmm. and number four starters. You probably don't have a one or a two, but you're also not running out multiple fives, which is like that's the real thing you're trying to avoid. Right. And the depth then becomes... Zach Thompson, Libertor, you know, Roby, all these prospects that are double and triple a that had the chance to be like, Tink might be the guy. He might be getting rookie of the year votes at the end of the year. So you're kind of hoping that's the guy that like answers the question. Um, But yeah, if you do that, Sonny Gray, uh, Marcus Stroman, Imanaga, any of those guys in that like 50 to $80 million range or Eduardo Rodriguez, that that's the sort of headline guy with Gibson and Lynn as the sort of back end stabilizers. Uh, like I would say, that's like meets expectations. You got you got one guy like that'll yeah. be above league average, and then two guys that'll be about league average. That that addresses the issue.
3: Uh, Yamamoto, what's it going to take for a team to get
2: Yamamoto? <laughs> Every time I ask someone, it's a little bit higher than the last guy I talked to. <laughs> so the longer he waits, he might just get the Otani deal. Good for him, right? Yeah. Well, it's, here's the thing: is he is that sort of pitcher that I'm talking about with Nolan Stroman mm-hmm. and Gray where it is not double plus stuff. He's not sitting 100. He's not 6'5", 220, but he is a plus athlete with plus command and a bunch of above average to plus pitches, and he's 25. And if you were to take what Aaron Nola was at age 25, he looked similar to this kind of guy at the same stage and just saw what kind of war he put up as a way to sort of project what his contract would have been if he was a free agent then, Uh, it's like essentially in line with you should have paid him over $200 million. if You could have gotten him on the free agent market then. And I would say if you ask people five years ago, how good is Aaron Nola? You'd be like, oh, he's like, you know, he's pretty good. But, you know, he's not going to be the number one starter on like a playoff team. He's not going to open the all-star game, but like he's pretty good. Uh, But that guy was worth $200 million. And so imagine that this guy is sort of expected to be an Aaron Nola level pitcher and might actually be better because he's 25. Uh, the, and that these guys don't hit the market, you don't get a, a chance at another one of these sort of players next year. Um, so now teams are lining up, and you can – here's the reason that it's going to go over $200 million. It might be with posting fee $250 million at the end of all this. Um, because if you're the Tampa Bay Rays, you'd like to – or a small market team that's like competitive – a 25-year-old pitcher making 30 million dollars a year. You, I mean, you're paying Glavine now over 20 million a year. 30 million a year isn't like you can't not afford it. And so when he's at 25, you now can talk about five, six, seven-year deals as a small-market team. If you're the Yankees or the Mets that you're trying to get back into the playoff race, or even the Cardinals and you're a bigger market team, you can afford them. If you're like the Dodgers, you don't want to give 200 million to a guy that's 32. You want to give it to a guy that's 25. You guys, kind of here I'm going every team in baseball can justify paying this guy. Everyone can afford $30 million a year and you can easily justify five or more years because of his age. And he's got all the markers. If you look at all the pitchers that come over from NPB to the big leagues, they're almost all immediately pretty good that are of this quality. Um, it, it gets to the point where there's going to be a dozen teams that want to give him 150 million, uh, which I think is probably more teams than want to give Snell or even Nola 150 million. So the bidding war, I think, will be intense. I think it'll tend to be bigger market teams that will get to that 200, 230, 240 area all in, just because that's a that's a lot to swallow for a small market team. But because of the age, it makes him a very unique free agent that it ends up at the top of everybody's list.
3: What's the timeline? How when do do teams have? Uh, a deadline as far as when to post for him?
2: Yes, he was just posted, I think it was yesterday or the oh. day before, and it was mm-hmm. 45 days. Okay, 45 so days. It basically r- runs it into around New Year's or so. And in the past, typically what happens is he'll sign a couple days before that so he has time for the physical and all that kind of stuff. Maybe something falls apart, he can make another deal to replace it. So call it 40 days from a couple days ago, puts it like right at New Year's. It'll probably heat up around Christmas, maybe right before Christmas. That's probably when you'll start hearing stuff. I don't think you're going to hear a whole lot for the next week or two. And
3: that's legit. That that's the with the posting fee, and then the, the signing, like all of it.
2: Yeah, I right now I've not projected for uh, seven years, two hundred and twelve million, because that number plus the posting, which would be thirty something. On top of all that, that puts him right at the Steven Strasburg contract, which is the second biggest pitcher contract of all time. I think that's what his representatives are going to shoot for. The Garrett Cole deal, 300 and something. We'll get, he's not going to break that, but uh, Strasburg, I think, was 242. Uh, so I think they're going to shoot for a number, either to get 242 in the contract. I think that's probably a little rich. But if they can get the 242 on the full package, which is which would be over 200 on the actual contract, I think that's probably about where it lands. Wow.
3: That's crazy. I mean, that's, you know... Good, good if you can get it right. I mean, that's.
2: <laughs> well, it also shows you the value of like, uh, like a Paul Skeens, where it's like, so you are saying this guy, an ace at twenty five, is worth well over two hundred million dollars. Imagine if Paul Skeens is twenty two and looks like an ace next year. Oh, it's like that guy's worth two hundred million dollars, and they got him for seven. Like that's an incredible discount.
3: That is a fantastic point, Kylie McDaniel. Thanks so much for spending some time uh, here with us on this Wednesday night. Have a fantastic thanksgiving i hope you get a little bit of uh time off but i uh, appreciate talking some ball with you tonight
2: yeah I a little extra time because i don't have to cook this year so oh, I good I get over here <laughs>
3: <laughs> well enjoy it have a great thanksgiving thank you yeah thank you kyle mcdaniel of espn with us here talking a little baseball tonight on cardinals moves on free agents all the good stuff that is to come on the other side of the break we'll talk with uh well one of the sports broadcast gurus in our area he he does public address and play-by-play and uh, does it at mizzou and does some at SLU, and does some for siue that's where our, our focus is going to be largely we uh we recorded a little bit earlier today because he's currently working one of those other jobs randy moment is coming up on the other side of the break it's the gray bar sports open line i'm joe pot in for matt Polly. back after this with randy
5: He's the gray bar sports open
1: line. Those bit swings and he hits a drive.
5: He hits a slammer. On
1: America's sports voice. King of OX.
3: Back in on the gray bar sports open line. Joe Pot in for Matt Pauly here tonight. Happy to catch up with my man, Randy Molman. And we can talk a number of things. I, I, I really want to focus on SIUE women's basketball. Um, this is year number three for you behind the mic and it's year number three for head coach Samantha Quigley-Smith. One of the things that has been a hallmark is she is not afraid to go play anybody anywhere. Yeah, uh, uh,
0: including this year, they started the season at Oklahoma State in Stillwater out of the Big 12 and then they'll play at Michigan in Ann Arbor the week after Thanksgiving. They've played games over the three years at Kansas, at Louisville, at Washington, I mean, they will travel to play tough power five teams. And it's not just about a payday for SIUE. It is about getting their team ready for OVC play. uh, Because when you play those big teams, it's going to be so tough. They're so strong, normally bigger and a little faster. And then everything slows down a little when you get into conference play. She she really believes in that philosophy that it helps you get ready for conference.
3: So, yeah, it really is kind of two philosophies, right? The the philosophy that you just talked about where you go play maybe the bigger teams, the more challenging teams in hopes that you're getting yourself prepared for the conference season or, or go pick up some teams that you think are going to give you maybe an easier path to a number of wins. But the reality is in the Ohio Valley Conference that those number of wins aren't necessarily going to help you come March. Yeah, I,
0: I, let's be honest. The Ohio Valley Conference is going to get one team in and that's the team that wins the conference tournament and uh so the philosophy is you know you want to be ready to win the conference tournament that's what you need to do to get in the ncaa tournament and so playing a non-conference schedule where you lose a bunch of games really does not factor does not matter in the overall picture or scheme of things i do think uh coach samantha quickly smith does uh she is aware that when you play too many of those big power five teams and perhaps get beaten pretty badly in those games, there's a fine line between, well, we're just going to go out and get hammered by a power five team, or we're going to play in another mid-major where we might be a little bit more competitive. So she balances that schedule to get ready for the OVC with the power fives versus
3: other mid-majors. And let's be honest with this schedule this year, you've got Eastern Kentucky out of the A sun was a two point loss. On the road at Eastern Michigan was a three-point loss. On the road this past week at Dayton was a one-point loss. So it's not as if they're going and get blown, getting blown out. They're going no. and, and and they're they're very competitive, very competitive against the other mid-majors. And the team you left out was Illinois State.
0: They played that team, the uh, last year's Missouri Valley Conference champion, and they lost by four. It scored eighty-six so points. It, it scored eighty-six points. That's right. You're talking about. Four non-conference games this year that they've lost, SIUE women bas- women's basketball, where they have lost by a combined 10 points. Uh, they are there. They are, once they figure out how to close, uh, look out. In the Ohio Valley Conference is going to be a tough team to beat.
3: Yeah, and, and obviously a huge part of what SIUE is doing this year is KK Rodriguez, the Webster Groves product who has been just sensational offensively this year coming into
0: this week after the the uh, the Monday night game uh where they lost at Dayton KK Rodriguez had 133 total points that's second in the nation division 1 basketball behind the great Caitlin Clark of Iowa so she is keeping illustrious company right now uh averaging well over uh, just over 20 points a game but her last four games she has scored 33, 31, 17, and 33. The 33s are career highs, and she is has been unstoppable.
3: She's been a machine. I, I couldn't tell you the last time that an SIUE women's player had three 30 games in a season, let alone right. in, in a four-game stretch. That's unreal. And and let's be honest. After she scored the 33
0: and the Eastern Michigan, gave it a point to guard her and make sure she didn't beat them and she still scored 17 and 33 in those two games Um, she's just been phenomenal she's really the engine she has been since she got here she's the engine that makes SIUE women's basketball run when she's on a roll this team is really really hard to play against
3: visiting with Randy Molman talking a little SIUE women's basketball right now on sports open line and uh, when you think about a player like KK Rodriguez, who initially went to Tulsa out of high school, what does that say about Samantha Quigley-Smith and about SIUE that a player like that wants to come home and play in this program? Well, I mean, I, so I don't know all the details surrounding
0: her coming to SIUE, but I do know the gist. So she played at Tulsa with her good friend. She friends with Olivia Clayton, who was also uh, who was also on the SIUE roster and played at Tulsa with KK, went into the portal, and was recruited by Coach Sam to come to uh, SIUE. She did. KK was out in L.A. She was done. She did not want to play basketball anymo- anymore. There was no joy left in playing. She was leaving Tulsa early, and she was just going to go start her life. And Olivia Clayton called KK Rodriguez and said, you need to reconsider, and you need to talk to Coach Quigley Smith uh, before you make any final decisions about quitting the game. She did, came in for a visit, and found her love of the game. And that is a credit to Coach Samantha Quigley-Smith because uh, for all intents and purposes, the word was KK Rodriguez had lost her joy in playing the game, and uh, she has has now found it, obviously.
3: That is really cool. That's actually that's a story that I, I didn't even know, and I wasn't aware of that. And, and that is, that's really cool. Um, the other thing is, you know, as a lot of players are, especially when they get two or three years into their college career, she's dealing with injuries. So she's out there every day and it's literally a battle. She's had
0: multiple knee injuries. She's banged up a, a wrist, a shoulder. I mean, you name it. And she plays so hard. That there's no, um, there's no uh, 50%. It's, a, it's zero or it's a hundred percent for KK. And, uh, she doesn't, She, she's always on the floor. She's always battling for rebounds. She's diving. She's sprinting up and I mean, it's either stop or you're in a, you're 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 going 100 miles an hour. She is. She plays that way, and so yes, yeah, she's had several injuries uh, over her two years at SIUE, and she just keeps battling through it. It is it is a pleasure to watch, and she's doing it in different ways. She's 56% from three point range, Joe. 47% from the field. She Shoots worse. Closer in she gets, and then at the free at the free throw line, and worse, it's still forty seven percent is great, and at the free throw line she's eighty percent. So she's doing everything right.
3: Yeah, that 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 speaks a lot about the player that she is and what she's done. That that schedule continues. Middle Tennessee State coming up this Sunday at First Community Arena. Back on the road to Michigan, Uh, Northern Illinois here. They they had a great game at Northern Illinois last year
0: picked up their first win of the season last year at Northern Illinois. I'm sure they'll be looking for revenge. Uh, Michigan will be tough on the road, but middle Tennessee is one of those programs that is continuously ranked in the top 25 of mid majors in the country. That's a
3: good test. Yeah. And a fun game, I think for the uh, end of Thanksgiving weekend for folks to come and, and check out this team at first community arena. For sure. Randy moments with us here on sports open line for a couple more minutes. Um, uh, yeah, I mentioned uh, maybe I didn't. I meant to mention that, you know, you are in so many places so many times. We're doing this earlier in the day because you are going to be uh, courtside at Mizzou tonight to do public address for basketball. You also do public address and have for many years for Mizzou football. So I would be remiss if I didn't at least touch on this. But how exciting has this season of Missouri football been for you? Well, I mean, it's been it's been
0: unbelievable. You know last year I used to we used to talk in the press box and I'd talk to people in the know and we'd talk to others and they would say Missouri football's very close because last year there was probably six to eight plays during the season that if they were uh, successful or they didn't make a key mistake, they could have had eight or nine wins. It was not out of the realm of possibility. For example, Harrison Mivis, who's kicked game winning field goals this year, Mizzou missed a chip shot at Auburn to win the game and that never happens so you're looking at little mistakes and little plays from last year where people in the know were like look this team is close they they were really close to winning a lot of games last year and they are at- making those plays at the end of games this year and uh you know if they win at Arkansas that's 10 wins I mean wow what a season 10 and 2 if they can pull it off on Saturday on Friday.
3: They should on paper, but I think we all thought that about Florida. I don't know if anybody thought for Florida sure. was going to be as difficult as it was. Um, but ultimately, a win is a win, and and you know nobody should be apologizing for a win in the SEC. No doubt, I, I they,
0: Mizzou was an eleven and a half point favorite. People thought, uh, you know, Missouri would win going away. And again, when you play an SEC opponent, I don't care what their record is. Most of these programs are in the top twenty-five in terms of recruiting classes. They all have talent, and so. You, you can't ever go into an SEC game and think, ah, oh, this will this will be a piece of cake. It's never going to be easy. And Arkansas has a lot to play for. They could really spoil a a, a New Year's Six Bowl for Missouri on Saturday. Uh, Arkansas just came out and said they're going to keep their head coach. So they want to get a win for him, Coach, coach Pittman. So that's not going to be an easy game Friday either. But Mizzou is really – they've just found ways to actually – uh, make the plays when it matters this season, as opposed to years past, and it's been uh, a joy to watch.
3: Yeah, I mean that that final drive against Florida. I mean, says so much, and and so many people involved in that. But but obviously, Brady Cook kind of engineering that drive. Even when even Joe, after they spiked the ball, they still had another play. <laughs> I know, Joe, fourth and seventeen. That's going to be what people
0: will talk about. You know, everyone when you talk about Mizzou football, a good and bad. You know, you hear fifth down. You know exactly what that oh. is. You know, kicked ball. You know exactly what that is against Nebraska. Um, so this will be, people will say, 4th and 17, and they'll remember that the, the completion, the Luther Burden, Florida,
3: that helped you win that game. Unbelievable. No question about it. Randy, I appreciate you uh, taking some time and, and catching up and all the things you're doing and certainly being part of our team at SIUE as well. Joe, thank you for having me. It's been great. Randy Mullen with us here at Sports Open Line on a Wednesday night. The Gray Bar Sports Open Line continues after this on Camoax. Final segment of the Gray Bar Sports Open Line. Joe Pot in for Matt Pauley tonight. And uh, following us is the great Brad Young, who has made his way into the studio. Brad, happy Thanksgiving Eve.
5: Thank you, Joe. Good to talk to you. Glad you're in this evening. I was oh, I enjoying the that. analysis earlier in the show and talking about the moves that the Cardinals still hopefully need to right. make, and and uh, I was making note of it. So when I'm talking to my friends at work, I can sound intelligent, fantastic, you know, because I can just quote you, <laughs> and then I can give the appearance of being smart.
3: <laughs> quote the guests, not me. But I'm glad. No, that's uh, that's good. We um in the little break here, or in the in the commercial break, we were talking a little baseball, and one of the things that that you were were talking about is. Uh, Major League Baseball's decision to go back to Atlanta, which they will do in a couple of years for the All-Star game, which they took out of Atlanta a couple of years ago. And uh, it's an odd look, right?
5: It it is an odd look. And I was very critical of MLB when they made that move because they were making, first of all, they were making a political decision. But secondly, they were making a political decision based on hearing only one side of the argument. So for example, when uh, when someone's indicted, they all, the, the, the grand jury only gets to hear from the prosecution, not the defense. So of course, most of the time grand juries indict people, they only hear one side of the argument. And so uh, and so it seemed to me like MLB was only listening to those who were saying that this new law in Georgia was going to be have a racial impact. It was discriminatory. Uh, and so they moved. They moved the game from Atlanta, where it would have benefited minorities, to a lily-white suburb of Denver, which only helped whites. So, so in other words, we we were doing this to help minorities, but the effect of it was to hurt minorities. And then the law ended up having no consequence. In fact, uh, in 2022, I read in Georgia uh, that the uh, minority vote increased. It didn't go down. It went up. And so, obviously, the law didn't have any sort of a racial impact. But I guess what I wanted to to get your perspective on is is this an example where sports teams should really just stay out of the political arena?
3: Yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily. I, I think that I'm, I am. I think that I kind of align with you in that. I I don't need uh, Major League Baseball making my political decisions for me, or or trying to influence my political decisions. Because if I'm going when I'm going to a baseball game, that's not what's on my mind. That's not what I'm thinking about. That's not what I'm there for.
5: Ex- exactly. When I go into a game, I want to enjoy the game, and and also, obviously, tomorrow's Thanksgiving, and and uh, uh, a lot of folks are trying to stay away from controversial topics at Thanksgiving. I go the other way. I I, <laughs> I go way controversial, and I figure, look, if they get up and leave, since it's my house, that just leaves more leftovers yeah, for that's me, fair, right? Right. But uh, <laughs> but but in all seriousness. Um, I've got some some very good friends of mine. We don't agree on anything political, but when we start talking sports, I mean, it's like we're just brothers. And I don't, I just don't want whether it's baseball, football, any of these sporting leagues, to to bring political issues into the fray because. Don't we have enough politics in literally every other area of our lives? And why do we need to bring that into into an area where we can, in the in the words of, uh, oh, I forgot the guy's name now, in, in Los Angeles in the 1990s, when he said, why can't we all just get along? Uh, Rodney King. Rodney King, thank mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. The famous quote from Rodney King. I, I just want to get along with sports, and I don't think I need baseball telling me that somehow uh, they're they're standing up for minorities when literally everything that they did demonstrated that they were hurting minorities by moving the game out of Atlanta. I just want them to stay out of it. Play ball.
3: Play ball. There you go. What else coming up on, on the show tonight?
5: Well, we're going to talk a lot about uh, Thanksgiving tonight, mm-hmm. and I've got a lot of other topics to discuss, but... Uh, one of the things I like about uh, having a show on At Your Service is, is the interaction with the, with the folks who call in. And we usually get a lot of texts, we get a lot of calls, but literally the, word, the world wants to know how Matt Pajeski is going to be celebrating Thanksgiving. So that's going to be the topic of probably the, the entire first hour <laughs> and maybe most of the second hour is going to be the Matt Pajeski Thanksgiving Hit Parade.
3: I love it. I will look forward to that. Brad, I appreciate the opportunity to cross over here. So uh, have a very happy Thanksgiving.
5: Thank you. Enjoy Uh, your time. Same
3: to you and your family, and it's always good to see you. We're looking forward to it, and it's uh, great to see you as well. Great to be here uh, on Sports Open Line. Hope Matt Pauley is enjoying his time away as well. Uh, Thanks so much to Brian Kennedy, to Derek Gould, to Kylie McDaniel, to Randy. Uh, Molman and, of course, to Matt Pajeski behind the board tonight, appreciate all that you do for us as well. Have a very happy Thanksgiving yourself, Matt Pajeski. Uh, all of you out there listening in, have a very happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I will be back on Friday morning, bright and early, with uh, all of your sportscast needs during Total Information AM. I'm Jill Pott. Brad Young is coming up next at your service right here on CAMOX.